0: Pastor Mark, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's so good to be with you and uh, it's been 11 years since I've been here at Emmanuel. 11 years, a lot of time has gone by and so grateful to be able to preach the Word of God for you this morning and some of you don't know me, what you may know is that I'm a seminary professor which can be probably the most depressing thing you can hear when you come to church on Sunday morning because you think you're going to get a lecture and all a Ph.D. means is that you know more and more about less and less. So one person put it in a poem this way. There once was a student named Gesser whose knowledge became lesser and lesser. He at last begrew, his knowledge at last grew so small he knew nothing at all. And now he's a college professor. So <laughs> that's kind of how that works. I'm glad to be here with you. 2 Corinthians five seventeen, one one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I still remember it in the King James. This uh, last Sunday, we had the Super Bowl. And during NFL season, there's always a rush for jerseys. And you may not have known this, the best-selling jersey from, from the NFL last year that fans were buying was Carson Wentz. That was number one, the quarterback for the Eagles who was, who was injured uh, late in the season. But he had the best-selling jersey in the NFL. The second best-selling jersey was for Tom Brady. And so when people buy these jerseys, they find a sense of their identity in those jerseys. Now, if you see a middle-aged, overweight man standing in line at the Pizza Hut or at the The McDonald's or the Wendy's and that guy has on a Tom Brady jersey. You really don't think that's Tom Brady standing there. You you know that's not Tom Brady. And what what's happening though is this guy's trying to leverage someone else's success for a little bit of his own identity and that well I know that I'm an overweight middle-aged guy and I'm a dad with a minivan but I'm wearing a Tom Brady jersey. I'm wearing a Carson Wentz journey jersey And I might not be the most successful guy, but I know a winner when I see one, and I like to associate myself with a winner. He's borrowing someone else's success and trying to leverage that for a little bit of his own identity. And in church, we do all sorts of things. We try to identify ourselves in all sorts of different ways. Uh, Sometimes we'll say I'm a conservative. Some say I'm, I'm a liberal. Some will say I'm a Republican. Some say I'm a Democrat. Some will say I'm a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. We find all these different ways to identify ourselves in a church and we hang these labels on ourselves. Some identities people hang on themselves like a football jersey or a political party may not be that life altering but some identities people adopt are far more serious. Uh, Some young people find their identity with a gang and they find their identity that way. Some identify with a political movement. They're going to somehow, some great leader is going to be their source of identity. Some in our culture find their identity in a sexual identity or a rejection of gender norms, the rejection of the gender binary uh, and somewhere across the uh, LGBTQ and the acronym goes on, uh, identity and so people are finding their identity in one of these things but our identity as Christians is in Christ. Our identity is not really in a football player, our identity is not really in a, a team, our identity is not in a political party, our identity is in none of these things. Our identity is in Christ. We don't hyphenate our identity in Christ, I, I meet a lot of Christians that want to put something in, I'm this sort of Christian or I'm that sort of Christian, and they hyphenate their identity in Christ. We don't do that. As Christians, we are simply in Christ. That's our identity. My worth and my value and my purpose in life is found in Christ. It's found in Christ. And there's some things I've been wanting to say for a long time. And this sermon I've never preached before, but it's been in my heart for a great period of time about my identity in christ and your identity in christ and if you don't know jesus the identity you can find in jesus christ so this morning i want to talk about our identity in christ and moving quickly through 10 10 really key identifying marks of what it means to be in christ 10 things that mark us as being in christ what does it mean to be in christ well first of all in christ i have new life in Christ I have new life. Look at 2 Corinthians five seventeen again. Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold all things have become new. Let me show you a little things there. Do you see where it says if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature a new creation. Really in the Greek it's an exclamation. The, uh, the article the is not there. It's or the article a is not there it's just in christ new creation it's like paul is excited and he's just shouting and he's wow in christ new creation all things are made new jesus christ gives us new life in context new life that he talks about here is connected to christ's death and burial and resurrection in verses 14 and 15 Jesus has defeated Satan and sin and death and hell, and because he's defeated Satan and sin and death and hell, he can defeat the sin that has dominated our life. He can free us from sin and give us new life. Jesus Christ gives new life. One of the things you discover in the New Testament as you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is that nothing stays dead in the presence of Jesus. No life stays dead. And one touch of Jesus, a life that is dead, comes alive. You read Mark chapter 5 as Jesus frees the gathering demoniac from thousands of demons, and the little lady with the issue of blood, one touch and she's healed, and the little girl who's died, and one word from Jesus and she arises, and nothing stays dead in the presence of Jesus. In Jesus Christ, I have new life. In Christ, I have something new. Notice that little phrase, if anyone. Did you see it there? Therefore, if the... Notice Paul did not say, therefore, the most intellectual are in Christ. He did not say if the most beautiful people are in Christ. He did not say if the most athletic and physically strong are in Christ. He did not say if the most musically gifted are in Christ. He did not say if the most financially successful are in Christ. He did not say if the smartest are in Christ. He said what? If who? He said if anyone is in Christ. It's a whosoever will salvation. If anyone, if anyone, if anyone and that's you. The life you had may have whipped you and worn you out and life has left you from choices. Sometimes you made yourself and sometimes the collateral damage of other people's choices and you're broken and bent and wounded by life and I'm telling you there's new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives new life. We live in a world of gated communities and we live in a world of clubs and athletic facilities that have exclusive memberships and But in Jesus Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the gates of heaven are governed by grace and anyone can enter in. The old life of sin is replaced by a new life of Christ and holiness and purity. The brokenness you have experienced in life need not define you for the rest of your life. In Christ, you're a new creation. Secondly, in Christ, I'm declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A few verses after that, in verse 21, Paul says this. In him, that's Christ, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful passage. That little verse, verse 21, is all about substitutionary atonement, that Christ died in my place. But I want you to notice something. When, when I read the Bible and I study the Bible, one of the things I discover is God is much holier than I ever imagined, and my sin is much worse than I ever imagined. And when you read this book, what you begin to discover is my righteousness, I know in my own life, I discovered my righteousness was never going to get me to heaven because God was so holy, there's no way that I could be good enough and my righteousness would not get me to heaven. There's no way it would. I need the righteousness of someone who never sinned. How could such a thing happen? How will I ever find my way into God's arms, into a relationship with God? I'll tell you how. God gives me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 21. In him... God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that's substitutionary atonement, that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God, that he declares us righteous. What a thought! My sin doesn't have to define me for the rest of my life. I can get up every morning and under the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ, I can say, I am declared righteous in Jesus Christ. My identity is not made in a mistake I made 20 years ago. My identity is not something that happened when I was 15 or 14 or 16 or 17. Some stupid choice I made. My identity is found in the imputed righteousness of Christ. I stand before the God of the entire universe as holy and pure and sanctified. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. You talk about finding dignity. You talk about finding honor. What a thought that someone so great as Jesus would come so low to someone such as me. What dignity, what honor there is in Jesus Christ. In Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, I'm declared righteous. In Christ, in Christ, but in Christ, my sins are forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Notice what Paul says here in verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. When you read the Bible and the burden of sin becomes so great and we realize that we are sinners, we quickly become aware that we need forgiveness. What a what an encouraging word from God, that God forgives sin. The holy God of all the universe sent his son to forgive sin. In Jesus Christ, I have forgiveness of sin. In Christ, I'm cleansed and I'm set free from sin. Uh, a physician, if you go to a physician, he or she can, can heal a broken bone, but they cannot heal a broken heart. You go to a pharmacist, and the pharmacist can give you medications to cure a disease but they can't cure the disease of sin if you go to a hospital and a nurse takes care of you that nurse can uh, provide medication and can provide therapy while you're there in a hospital room but that that nurse is unable to solve your sin problem if you are free uh, released from the hospital and you go to an occupational therapist that occupational therapist can teach you how to walk again and do your daily task. But that occupational therapist can't uh, teach you how to walk righteously before God. And if your eyes begin to bother you, you can go to an optometrist and that optometrist can give you glasses, but that optometrist can't uh, free you from the blindness of sin. And so where will we go? There's no doctor and there's no uh, physician. There's no surgeon that can answer this sin problem. Where will we go? I'll tell you where we go. We go to Dr. Jesus and Dr. Jesus with his cleansing blood forgives us of sin and the world will want to bring stuff up to you the world will want to remind you of stuff that you did when you were 18 you were 19 you were 20. They want to bring all that stuff. And Jesus puts it under the blood. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And Corrie ten Boone said he puts up a no fishing sign. He cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Another place he says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm so glad he said east and west and not north and south. Why is that? If you go north far enough, eventually at some point on the North Pole, north and south meet And you begin going south down the other side. But east and west never meet. You go east and you go east and you go east and it is continual. You go west and west and west. It's continual. And the Bible says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. What a thought that Jesus Christ forgives sins. People like to bring that stuff up. People like to remind you of when you've given your life to Christ and you start living for Jesus and start going to church and Bible studies and learning about Christ and trying to walk for Christ, Someone will tell you, oh, we know who you are. Branch, we know about you. You'll be back with us. We know the real you. You'll be back with us. You start living for Christ, men. You start trying to lead your home in in a godly way. And your old buddies will say, yeah, yeah, we know about you. You remember that night when we were off over here? You remember over there when you did this? Yeah, we know the real you. But I'm telling you, Christ has forgiven your sin. What do you do with that old junk when people bring it up? My favorite book ever written in the English language is called Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory of the Christian life. A man named Christian going on a journey from the city of destruction to the city of Zion, the heavenly city. And along the way, he passes through the valley of humiliation and in the valley of humiliation he meets a this awful, vile beast named Apollyon. That represents Satan. And Satan, Apollyon begins to throw fiery darts and there's this great battle and they're fighting each other and Christian is fighting Apollyon and Christian is becoming weak and weary in this battle and Apollyon begins to remind him of all the times that Christian failed him, failed God. And he says, you, you failed God over here and you say you're a Christian but you failed God here and you say you're a Christian but you failed God there. And at it's, it's suddenly Christian breaks in and tells Apollyon all that you said is true plus plus much more that you have left out but the prince I serve is mighty to forgive listen when someone brings up that old junk from a when before you were a Christian and all those sins, which Jesus has forgiven you, you look them right in the face and say, everything you said is true. Plus a whole much more that you left out, but the prince I serve is mighty to forgive. His name is King Jesus and he forgives sin. Well, he forgives sin. My identity in Christ, I'm forgiven. Every morning I get up and I'm forgiven. Every morning I get up and I experience new grace. In Christ, fourth, I'm free from the slavery of sin. I go back to Ephesians 1-7 again. There's a word I want to point out to you. In him we have redemption. That is a word that means he purchased us out of the slave market of sin. That word redeem was used in the secular language of the day to refer to a slave who had been set free, someone had paid a redemption price to purchase them out of slavery. Someone else paid a price so that person was no longer in slavery. That's redemption. And in Jesus Christ, I am free from the slave market of sin. I was in chains. I was bound. I was shackled by sin. But Jesus, with his rich royal blood, paid a sin debt for me that he didn't know, but he paid it for me. And he purchased me out of the slave market of sin. I'm not identified by what I used to be. I'm identified by the fact I've been set free by the son of God the Lord Jesus Christ that's my identity in Christ I'm forgiven I'm freed from the slave market of sin in Christ fifth and sixth I take them together in Christ my life has purpose and in Christ I have abundant life my life verse is John ten ten. the thief that's the devil comes to steal and to kill and destroy but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. In Christ, my life has purpose. I was a young man headed nowhere. My purpose in life, as best as I could determine when I was 17 years old, was to burn the back tires off of every car that I owned as quickly as I could. That's all I thought about. And uh, I had no purpose. I was going nowhere. And Jesus Christ stepped in and gave me direction and gave me purpose. In In Jesus Christ, my life has purpose. And in Christ, I have abundant life. This world tells you that abundant life is found in one more party, one more toke, one more drink, uh, one more hit on this drug, one more pop of this pill, one more uh, night spent with someone that you're trying to find sexual pleasure. But in Christ, all these things lead to brokenness. Atheistic philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said this in his book, The Twilight of the Idols. He said, and I quote, In every age... The wisest have passed the identical judgment on life. It is worthless. What hopelessness. And there's people told you that life is worthless. Life is hopeless. You're just an accident on the backside of the universe, several billion years of random time and chance, and you think your body's designed. It's not designed. It's just an accident, and there's no purpose to your life. What a lie. Let me tell you, you were created in the image of God, and though sin has, uh, we're fallen, and in sin, and we need a Redeemer, there is a dignity to you. You know what Psalm 139 says about every person in this room? It says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God knits you together, and this world says things like, like, well, your your value's found in your beauty. And since there's really no purpose in life, your, your value is just found in how many sexual encounters you can have, how much drugs you can do, and how much fun you can have. What a lie. Your life has purpose. Jesus Christ said, I came to give abundant life. Everything the world gives exhausts. Everything the world gives takes away. But all the joy that Jesus gives, it grows and it grows and it grows. And there's no limit to the joy of Jesus Christ. In Christ I have purpose. In Christ I have abundant life. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror romans eight thirty seven says this: We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, more than conquerors. the The Greek word there is fascinating it 's uh, really the root is Nike. Some of you kids wear Nike tennis shoes that means uh, victory and Uh, that's really the word this year, but it's got uh, this preposition in front of it. It's like a a super conqueror, a super victor. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. And we live in a world where people label us and people hang names on us and hang terms on us and we're identified by some label someone gives us. But I'm telling you, in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You are a victor in Jesus Christ. You are a champion in Jesus Christ. What is, a, what is a conqueror? It is someone who is victorious. Losers follow the world. I'm marching with the winners. I'm going with Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror. In Jesus Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. In Jesus Christ, I'm an overcomer. One of my favorite verses is found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Notice what it says. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. An overcomer. God overcomes the world. Who is the one that overcomes the world? The one that believes and has faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. You may have many obstacles in life. Some of them are self-inflicted. Sometimes we make choices and set ourselves on a trajectory far away from God and we pay a painful price. Sometimes we face the pain of other people's choices. There may be someone here, and you had a a father that was an alcoholic, and unkind, and cruel, and told you things told you things about yourself which are not true. Father telling you things like you're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. Some of you, over half of all kids in the United States now live in a home without their biological father present. Some of you, dad wasn't even there. Your opinion was he didn't care. Some of you had a mother that was hateful and she was bitter at the world and her bitterness spilled out on you. And all that stuff kind of sinks down and you begin to think, well, maybe what they're saying about me is true. Maybe I really am that big of a loser. Maybe, I, I, maybe I'm really everything that they say that I am. Listen, that is a lie from the devil. And the devil wants to take all that stuff and whisper in your ear, loser, loser, loser. Loser, don't you believe it for a minute. In Christ, in Christ, when you believed on Jesus, you became an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Don't let your life be defined by what someone said about you when you were 12 and 13 and 14. Believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. Discover the victory that's in Christ. That's why we sing that old song. You know, the old hymn writers knew what they were saying when they said what? Victory in who? Victory in Jesus. There's victory in the name of Jesus Christ. You can be an overcomer. In Christ, I'm an overcomer. In Christ, I'm royalty. Now, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but I'm telling you, you have royalty in the pulpit today. Royalty today. I can back it up with the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, and verse 9 says this, I am part of a royal priesthood when I'm saved. I'm part of a royal priesthood. And if you've been saved, guess what? You're part of a royal priesthood. That Listen, we've been adopted into the family of God. God is the king. And the king's kids are royalty. You are royalty. This world tries to tell you to find your dignity in some sort of identity they want to ha- hang on you. Your identity is found in being a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a royal priesthood. And listen, you know what I know? is uh, I have an office and sometimes people want to meet with me and I say, I don't have time. Not today. Today is not a good time. But if you get on my calendar, we'll see if we can find an appointment to get you in. But you know what? I have? There's, there's three people in the world that I'll drop everything for. Lisa, Joy, and Annabeth. My two daughters, Joy and Annabeth, If they came by my office at five and six years old, it didn't matter who was there or what I was doing. Guess who had immediate access? Joy and Annabeth. You know why? Because they're my kids. Listen, you got problems in life. You got things you don't know what to do with. If you're a child of God, you can run right into the throne room of the king of the universe, and he has time for you, and he's ready to hear, and he's ready to listen. You are part of a royal priesthood in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where your dignity's at. In Jesus Christ, I'm royalty. In Jesus Christ, I'm an overcomer. In Jesus Christ, I am eternally secure. I am eternally secure. I, I grew up, I, I believe in sinners' prayers and invitations, but I grew up uh, where sometimes evangelists would get manipulative. Sometimes, Brother Click, the, the, the evangelist was a little upset if not enough people came forward in the invitation. They're going to try to work things a little bit, get people to come. And so they start uh, making you wonder, if you've ever done anything wrong, maybe you're really not saved. Let me read you something from John chapter 10. Would you turn there? John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Would you look at this text with me? Notice what the Word of God says. Jesus said, I give eternal life to them. He didn't say I give temporary life. What kind of life does he give? Eternal life. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand I and the father are one. Listen to me Jesus said I Alan Branch when I'm saved I'm in his hand and then he said he's in the father's hand You know what that means? I am doubly secure. I'm in the hand of Jesus. Jesus is in the hand of the father Listen, you can't lose that. I am eternally secure in Christ. He paid my sin debt at the cross frequently when people tell me they think they can lose their salvation, generally what I find is they really have a misunderstanding of what happened at the cross. When you understand that it was the eternal Son of God who died in our place, who who gave His vicarious life and substitutionary death to think that somehow I'm going to undo all that. This is a divine transaction between God the Son and God the Father and I'm invited to be a part when I'm saved. What a thought! I am eternally secure and that when I die Listen, someday there's going to, if Jesus doesn't return, there's going to be a funeral. There'll be a auditorium somewhere like this somewhere and they're going to roll a coffin down to the front and they're going to have branch in that coffin and I'm going to be laying in that coffin and I hope you don't do this. I want a closed coffin. Can I get an amen? I don't want you looking at my old uh, chloroform face. I mean, don't, but, uh, from out high, but uh, oh, they're going to lay me in a coffin Somebody's gonna walk by that coffin, they're gonna look at me and say, Don't he look natural? I don't look natural, I'm dead, right? I'm dead. (laughs) But listen, they're gonna look at me and they're gonna say, Well, that's the end of branch. That's the end of his life. Don't You believe it. I am eternally secure. And when I breathe my last breath on this earth, it will be my next breath will be in heaven in the presence of God with the eternal Son of God who gave his life for me. And he said, Alan, I've had you in my hand, and I'm in the Father's hand, and now you're home. You are eternally secure. That's my identity. I'm going to tell you what. There's so much more we could say, but I want to talk this morning about my identity in Christ and I've thought very carefully about what I want to say next and um, I say it with caution because there's always a temptation um, and I don't want to do that to make the sermon about the preacher the sermon is about Christ so if I could say a couple of things in the next few minutes and if you could hear Jesus that's what I want you to hear I want you to hear the work of Jesus Christ And it's a challenge and I want you to hear Jesus that's what I want you to hear I'm going to talk about myself for a minute but I want you to hear Jesus in all this okay so um so I remember when I was about 14 years old I was riding on a church van we were going on a some sort of event There's a girl on the, a young lady on the van coming along as a chaperone and um she started asking me questions about my family, about one of my... Any of y'all got family? Can I get an amen, right? Yes, amen. So she started asking questions about one of my ex-brother-in-laws. I've got so many ex-brother-in-laws, the North American Mission Board has declared them an identifiable people group. I'm telling you. <laughs> and so... Um, so this lady started asking about one of my ex-brother-in-laws and something that he'd done that was pretty bad. And... Um, and I picked up real quickly as a 14-year-old boy. She, she asked this in front of all the kids on the van, all the other kids in the youth group. She wasn't saying, did this really happen? What she was saying was, that really happened and that's the kind of person your family is. I remember I had my first puppy love. You remember your first puppy love? Oh, my, you know, your heart just patters. And I was in junior. I had a crush on this girl. And um, I remember the uh, pastor at the church we attended at that time, his wife. Made some very disparaging remarks about me to her in front of a group of people telling her, You don't want anything to do with that boy and that family, do you? Now you're 12, 13 years old, that stuff weighs down on you. And um, a couple of years back, Lisa showed me a movie, and she'd seen it, and she, I watched it with her. I'm going to use a movie. It's called The Help. It came out in 2012 based on a book. It's called The Help. There's a lot to the movie, but the two main characters are a lady named Minnie Jackson and Celia Foote. And um, Minnie Jackson is an African-American uh, house, housemaid, and Celia Foote is this wealthy white housewife. She's the most beautiful woman in this circle of ladies in Jackson, Mississippi, but she comes from the wrong side of the tracks, and none of the rest of them like her, even though she's prettier and nicer and wealthier than all of them. They don't want anything to do with her. So one day in the film... Uh, the character Minnie Jackson is talking with Celia Foot, and they're in the kitchen and they're cooking and Celia's trying to say, well, maybe they don't like me because of this. Maybe they don't like me because of this. Maybe they don't like me because of this. And finally, the character Minnie Jackson looks at her and said, they don't like you because they think you're white trash. And um, I was going to tell you, when I saw that, I don't know if anything's ever had like this happened in my life. But the first 20 years of my life came into focus. Because uh, that's what people said about me. And that's what they said about my family. And suddenly I realized, yeah, I, I, you're you growing at me, maybe they don't like me because I do this, Man, they don't like me. No, they just think you're white trash. That's truth. And um, about that time, We'd moved to a different church, and when I was a young man, I met a pastor. his my dearest friend in this world to this day. His name is Harry Michael. He's retired. lives at Lake Oconee, Georgia. And I got around Harry and Joyce Michael, and they started teaching me about walking with Jesus and finding faith in Jesus. And, and I discovered this whole new world that I had never knew existed about finding your identity in Christ. And I just want to say a couple of things. Listen. I am 50 years old. I have two of the most strikingly beautiful young women as daughters in this world. I, 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 they are bright and they're smart and they love me and they love their mama and daddy and they love Jesus. They're not perfect. Everybody wants to know what the preacher's kids. is. Okay, my kids are not perfect. Not everything on their iPod is K-love, okay? But, <laughs> it's, but they're good girls. They're so beautiful. I, you know, sometime I'm going to have to pay for a wedding in the near future. I think about my daughters coming down the aisle of a church and these beautiful young, one a brunette, one a blonde, beautiful young women. I think about giving them away. It's some old hairy leg boy. It's, it's like handing a Stradivarius to an orangutan. I mean, really, you just, I'm thinking, what in the world? And I married the prettiest and smartest girl in my circle of friends. And by God's grace, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody's ever called them white trash. And, uh, and I'm a prof- I have a Ph.D. And I'm a professor at a seminary. And I served in the Army. And they gave me the Bronze Star. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. It's all because of Jesus I found my identity in Christ. I found my identity, not in what somebody said about me, but what Jesus said about me, that in him, I'm more than a conqueror. In him, I'm an overcomer. In him, I'm forgiven. In him, I'm declared righteous. In him, I'm forgiven and made new. In him, I have new life. In him, I am eternally secure. In him. Him, in Him, in Him, in Christ. And somebody said something about you years ago. Somebody hung a label on you. Somebody named you something. Somebody called you something. Don't you believe it. Your identity is found in Christ. Your identity is found in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the cross, in the empty tomb, and the Son of God died for you. That's where your value's at. Don't you let this world lie to you. Don't you let this world put you down. Don't you let this world tell you, you don't have any future. You'll never be anything. It's a lie from the pits of hell. Jesus Christ takes broken people and makes them into something glorious and beautiful. And I'm telling you, he does it every day and he'll do it again. He'll do it again. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Brother Mark's going to come.